Hello, Acquired listeners. Today, we are releasing a guest episode that David and I did with the guys over at My First Million. So awesome. I love these guys. Sean and Sam are just like a riot. True hustlers. <laughs> true, true hustlers. I mean, literally, Sam started a company called The Hustle. And they're like very unafraid to go places that uh, David and I normally wouldn't touch on. So um, we had a lot of fun chatting with them. We wanted to release it for all of you too uh, here on the ACQ2 feed. Obviously, if you like this and uh, you like Sam and Sean's particular breed of podcasting, go check it out. You can find them on YouTube or Spotify or basically anywhere. So without further ado, on to our interview on My First Million. Yeah, like the easiest way I explained it was all in is billionaires talking about billionaire shit. And my first million is millionaires <laughs> talking about millionaire shit. <laughs> I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like my days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. All right, what's up? We got a crossover episode. Call me Tim Hardaway. We got the guys from Acquired. Yeah, you like that. You That's like good. That. That's on good. Fly, on the fly, baby. <laughs> Yeah, that's for the 5% of, of listeners who who know about basketball. Oh. So we got the guys from Acquired are here. We're doing kind of a joint episode, the old Alabama wedding, as I like to call it. You know, just we're just getting we're getting cousins together here <laughs> because you guys got a podcast that is pretty awesome. I remember when I was working at, a, at our previous startup, a guy came to me. He was like, there's a podcast you're going to love. It's called Acquired. And I go, what is it? He goes, it's like the backstories of these, like of all great tech acquisitions, like how it all went down. They go into like all the nerdy details. And then I binged you guys for like six days straight. And so that was, that's how I kind of first got into it a couple of years ago. So welcome to the show, David and Ben. Thank you. We did a super fun crossover with you a couple of years ago now, but it was just with Sean. Sam, you were off traveling the world, doing amazing things. Uh, well, that's what he said. He was like, you'll probably do something amazing. I was like, probably just like a doctor's appointment or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's probably too fake. Yeah. You guys have totally come up since then. The uh, I mean, you were big back then, but I was like, within the first couple months, I think of you starting this. And it's just been awesome to watch how far you've come. That, that was kind of in our, even though it was year four or five for us, that was kind of our early days too. Because Sean, you're right, that we were mostly about acquisitions at that point. And we talked about the Bebo acquisition as part of the right. episode. And now we do these like three, four hour entire, you know, history and strategy of a company, regardless of whether there was a transaction. But yeah, that that feels like, I don't know, the funny thing about exponential growth is it feels like a lifetime ago all the time. I always think about that, like when you pick a niche and then you kind of are going to run out, but the niche can get you somewhere. So for example, I was thinking about this with CoffeeZilla, the YouTube guy who exposes people's scams. And I'm like, and then he did one the other day that was like, he DM'd a celebrity to promote some NFT thing. Like, hey, we'll pay you to promote this NFT thing. And like the white paper said like this shit's a scam or whatever, but he didn't <laughs> read it. Obviously, he just like promoted it. And he's like, ha, scammer. And I'm like, but you that's kind of entrapment. Like you, you're running out of people to like to, to cover here. You had to now create scammers. It's like Ali like, G back that, in the day. Yeah, exactly. But like that wasn't his original stick. But I was like, yeah, you're not going to like, you're trying to be on this YouTube once a week treadmill. And... There's not once a week going to be a giant Logan Paul, like celebrity name did this bad thing and I'm going to be the exposer. It's like, what are you going to do next Tuesday? Because <laughs> there's not like, this isn't that that current. But you guys did a good job well, of, of switching it up. People said that to us, Sean. They go, you're going to run out of ideas. And I was like, yeah, we might. But then it just kind of like morphed into like us saying a lot of like, it's like people are when I, I someone yesterday was like, what's your podcast about? I was like, well. The name's pretty bad, and it's definitely a lot about business, <laughs> but we also make a lot of horrible jokes, too. So people kind of like it right. for that reason. 
Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot. Your niche earns you the right to exist, but it's in in media, but it's your your sort of demeanor and your the way that you look at the world that then gives you license to expand from there. So like it's if David flavor, and I had, my friend, it's your yeah, flavor. Yeah, there we go. I just think if David and I had started with like, we're a podcast that talks about businesses, it's like, cool, next. But right. if you like pitch people on really specifically what their, what you'd like the job to be done of your show and their life is, then you can sort of like expand and explore from there. Right. Like Ben, Ben should have, Ben, producer Ben should have been like, you know, you know, Mormons taking over the world. Started with the Mormon community, then expanded <laughs> from there. I remember talking to the guys from Wait But Why, that great blog. Yeah. yeah. And wait, guys, is there guy, a team? It's not just Tim. It's Tim it's and Tim, his partner. And then it's his childhood yeah. friend Andrew, who does like the back end, all the business stuff. They have like a really interesting business. They like acquire companies that are completely unrelated to Wait But Why. Like that's how they make their money. Really? I know. And no then idea. they just do Wait But Why for fun. Like that, that's kind of the the the, the model. But I was asking him about content because I was like, you know, I admire Wait But Why, so tell me about this. And I was like, you know, I'm trying to figure this out. I kind of like to talk about this and I kind of like to talk about this. And he's like, you need your like your flagship franchise and you do your franchise and then people will love that franchise, but they'll also love you. And they'll you'll earn the right to talk to them about like, oh, you want to talk about like mindset stuff? Cool. But unless you think mindset is the right place to start, yeah. wait earn the the trust on the business side and then say, by the way, here's my mindset stuff. And then you'll get some percentage of the people to cross over and then a new audience there too. And you just keep launching new franchises after that. It's so true. It's also like, even you guys, you know, you started several years after us, but like, I think you still Is were- Is that true? The, when did you guys start? Three years ago? Like, September 20. of 2019, I think, or oh, July. Oh, wow. Yeah, you yeah. guys are later than, than I thought. Yeah, we were 2015. But even in 2019, like, it was still kind of early-ish enough days in podcasting that, like, the medium was, the mainstream portion of podcasting medium was still early enough that people were looking for new stuff. And, right. like, that, I think, has changed now in a pretty well, so big way. The way that it started was basically, like, I was in Austin or somewhere. I was living in San Francisco at the time, and Sean texted me, and he was like, Hey, I have an idea for a podcast. Here's the pilot. Do you guys want to, does Hustle want to be the publisher? And I listened to it and I like, I just listened to the intro and I was like, yep, we're in. Let's just air this exact one next week and we'll start. And, and he was, by the way, that, that was a little bit of a fib. I, I basically told you, I was like, Hey, you know, why don't, I was like, why don't you do podcasts? And Sam was like, like, I got to hire somebody to do it. I don't know. We we were focused on this email thing. I was like, well, I got a podcast. I'm going to do a podcast. Will you be the publisher? He's like, and I was like, I'm already, I already, I knew that to seal the deal, I needed to send him a file, but I hadn't recorded yet. So I go, I already did the first episode. You want to like take a listen to it. And then I like <laughs> just ghosted him on Messenger for 24 hours. So I could go record the episode, then came back and was like, oh, my bad. Here's the file. <laughs> so there really wasn't an episode when I first messaged you. But I was like, I got the vibe that if this is good, if I get like a good first 35 seconds, this is done. And uh, so that's what I went Yeah. And, and we were like, we're in. And then he did it his way. It was called My First Million because it was like first million users, revenue, whatever. And it was great. It was great as it was. But like there, there was one time like three months in where a guest didn't show up and he was like, I booked the space. Do you just want to come and like talk? And I was like, I guess. And we did that. And then it kind of like did well. But like our, the first episode he did by himself, it got 65,000 downloads. And we were like, dude, podcasting is wow. podcasting's easy. This is going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then over the next 12 months, it basically went down to like as low as like maybe 10 or 15,000. And then since then, it's basically just been a slow grind. Now we're anywhere from 100 to 200,000 
per per episode if you include the YouTube. Our YouTube is is pretty weak. It's like twenty to fifty thousand, twenty to a hundred thousand, and then the RSS feed, which is like iTunes and all that stuff, that's maybe a hundred or something like that. Where are you guys at? Because like no one talks about this stuff. Like whenever yeah, you yeah. Google, I remember we were googling like how do we get to a hundred thousand downloads, but everyone out there was like, here's how you get your first thousand, first ten thousand. I was like, okay, but like yeah. how do we get bigger? Right. We're we're almost the exact same scale with a very different journey. I mean, every journey is unique on this stuff. So our episodes get about 200,000 downloads, listens, whatever you want to call it, which is interesting because Spotify has become so much more of the market now per episode. But unlike you guys, we do like one episode a month, you know, one to two episodes a month. And they're really, really long. (laughs) So we have with a few exceptions that we can talk about we've never had like kind of big spike viral you know breakout moments it's been a you know eight year journey from like zero up to that we don't really have spikes like there's spiky stuff but it's not Uh, like a true like virality moment interesting Hmm. And, and you guys so one thing that's interesting about content and media is everybody measures the number nobody measures the quality because the quality is way harder to understand but Clearly, there's a difference between 200,000 people listening to an episode of Acquired versus 200,000 views on a TikTok. Okay, we get that because it's kind of short versus long. But even if it was a podcast about sports versus a podcast about business acquisitions, the type of people that are going to listen to your thing are just inherently more valuable. Have you guys thought about that, seen (laughs) that? Do you guys feel the benefits of that? That is the whole business. Not that we started or do this for the business side, although it's become a great business, that is the whole business side. And and also on the content side too, like we made, we started doing this for us to learn. And then we were like, well, who, you know, would also want to learn from the, you know, people like us. And that's kind of who we make it for. So we struggle with YouTube, with TikTok, with Twitter. Like we're not good on any of those other platforms, even though we do atomize content and do it now, because like we don't, it's just not kind of, how we designed the show. Right. And to, to, to ground it, 40% of acquired listeners are C-level or VP-level executives. 23% are currently founders. 12% were previously founders. And if you break down by job, 17% are engineers, 15% are actively CEOs today, and 12% are product managers. And so, like, the whole business for us, and to David's point, it didn't start as a business, but where we are today is like, I don't really want millions of listeners. I want Acquired to like kind of slow its growth, but saturate the niche that we're in because I think it's the most valuable audience in the world. And I don't know exactly what that leads to, but like all the conversations David and I get to have with our listeners because of who they are are like super fascinating. Well, what will it lead to? So like, you know, you do, you you can probably make a great living off of just the advertising, but I'm looking at your site. You don't sell anything. What's it going to lead to? <laughs> well, we do have merch, but it's not. Well, that, um, that hoodie you're wearing right now is pretty dope. Is that merch? This is Marquez's I, I just, hoodie. Yeah. Which David Immel, who's on Marquez's team, has become a good friend and is an acquired listener. And he hooked me up with this. This this hoodie rocks. <laughs> MKBHD. Yeah. I, I sent a picture to our to our merch person. I screenshotted, and I had that moment where I was like, you know, that thing we were on a Zoom call. I don't know if you guys do this, but you screenshot, and it's like makes the really loud ass sound of oh, like yeah. a screenshot has been taken, and then you gotta like 
address it like it was a fart during the during the call. Yes. It's like, hey, how come you were doing that thing uh, on every slide of my deck? This is total digression, <laughs> and we'll come back to it. But Fourth Wall makes the so Marquez is an investor in Fourth Wall. Walker Williams, the founder, he was the founder of Teespring. Awesome guy. We've gotten to know him. Talking to them now, I think. Yeah, about yeah. Our merch. Yeah, they are great, and they made this fully custom for Marquez, and it's. Marquez being, what's his name? Brownlee? Is that his yeah. name? MKBHD, yeah. The, I mean, I, the YouTube. You said it's first name like he's Oprah. Like, you know, <laughs> he basically like, is. I think who's he's, this guy talking about? Oh, well, he has like guy. 20 million YouTube subscribers. I mean, I just know him as like the guy who reviews tech, but he also like has interviewed Elon and all these like great guys. I mean, he's cool. Yeah. yeah. Unless they've come on this podcast, they're, I don't know them. That, this <laughs> podcast makes you or breaks you in my mind. <laughs> he's also, the craziest thing is like, as if it wasn't enough to operate this like, pretty large scale TV production studio at this point as a as a YouTuber. He's also like one of the best ultimate frisbee players in the world. Oh, really? Yeah, he's a professional like, I, ultimate frisbee player as well. I can well. see that. I can see that. that that's a that's Little a very friend. obvious crossover. Do you yeah. uh so like <laughs> we'll just talk real insider baseball for a second and then we'll move on, but with podcasting, a lot of people ask us how to start it and stuff like that and I'm like, I don't know how to grow it. It's quite challenging. But what I've really enjoyed getting to know is like Andrew Huberman. I, I'm, you know, I'm acquaintances, but not friends, friends with him really. But like, we'll chat every once in a while. And he's like, I looked on Spotify. It's like, we've seen each other with our shirts off, but we, I mean, I wouldn't call each other friends, but like, <laughs> we, we've sauna together. This is what Sam be like, oh, I was probably at a doctor's appointment. The first, like, I, your life is just like, I listen to you guys. I'm like, wow. That's no, a... bro. I, like he was, he was on our, he was on our pod. So like, I know him like an hour plus like five text messages exchange. So like, that's the extent that I know him. But he, I think there, if you look at Spotify when he releases an episode, it's typically the most popular on the charts. And I think they're in the million mark, million per episode, which is how we like to me measure it. Is there anyone else in the business category that's in the two hundred? Five, I mean, all in's probably 400, maybe 500,000. Do you know, like, how yeah. big do you have to be to be some of the biggest? Of course, there's Dave Ramsey. He's he's in a whole different category. Yeah, it's funny. It depends because, like, business kind of gets lumped in with all these other, like, personal finance type categories. But I think in our ilk, you know, invest like yeah, the they best. Make is a up separate there. budgeting category and move Dave Ramsey's ass yeah, over yeah, there. Right? <laughs> you know, and it's, it's all in too, like, has been an amazing breakout. They've become more of a mainstream news and political show too. I mean, they still talk tech right. and business, but that I think is a lot of their audience and they're huge now. But yeah, our category, I would say like invest like the best probably is most directly comparable in terms of size and audience makeup. Also founders and David Senra, who's he's part of the Colossus Network with Patrick. Jason's other show, This Week in Startups, that we go on all Logan the time. Logan Bartlett has a much smaller audience because he's much newer, but like A-plus guests and really, I mean, he's, I think he's he's got the, the most valuable niche of niche in terms of the people who listen to his show. Why? Because of VCs? It's like Silicon Valley insiders, for lack of a better... I mean, it's VCs, it's founders, but I think like... His interviews, <laughs> I always feel like he pulls yeah. out. <laughs> Most valuable, jeez. <laughs> well, listeners, this is the perfect opportunity to introduce a new sponsor here on ACQ2, Quarter. Their new product, Quarter Pro, launched about a year ago and is already adopted by several Fortune 500 companies and some of the world's largest hedge funds and equity research departments. 
Yeah, this research platform is transforming the way qualitative public market research is conducted. Here's how Quarter Pro works. You can get every piece of first-party information from public companies all in one single place. That's live earnings calls with real-time transcripts, company filings, slide decks, and more. Quarter Pro has built a world-class user interface for this. Yep. Let's say you're an investor or a podcaster, and you've got the use case where you need to look up a company such as Novo Nordisk, Hermes, or Visa. You can open their platform and search Guidance or Market Outlook. Quarter Pro then immediately identifies all instances where a company has historically mentioned and discussed these topics in all of their IR-related communications. Or here's another pretty crazy thing they've done that's difficult to get anywhere else. You can actually search through literally every individual slide in Quarter's database, covering 9,000 public companies and millions of slides for any keyword mentioned based on Quarter's AI capabilities. This truly makes it easier than ever to conduct qualitative analysis of entire industry value chains and specific companies. So whether you're an equity research analyst, an asset manager, or an investor relations professional, this platform will help you increase your productivity through their live call, transcript components, AI-powered summaries, and a feature along allowing you to visualize the entire timeline and changes of specific slides throughout quarters. Quarter also offers their database as an API solution. This enables other companies such as trading and research platforms, as well as AI and LLM companies to build custom solutions and integrate this database into their offerings or add functionality on top of the data. Yep. To find out why leading companies globally are choosing Quarter Pro in their day-to-day work and to experience the platform firsthand, request a personal demo by visiting quarter.com slash acquired. That's Q-U-A-R-T-R, no E, Q-U-A-R-T-R dot com slash acquired. Or click the link in the show notes to get the personal demo from the Quarter team. Our thanks to Quarter. Sam, let me ask you a different question that I've actually never asked. So, so, you, so David said something a second ago, which was kind of like, the paraphrase would be, we made the podcast for people like us, or we made the podcast that we would want to listen to. Is that fair to kind of summarize your, your position, David? 100%. And I feel like that with this podcast, I started the Milk Road that way, but it quickly transformed into like crypto news, which is actually not what I, I actually, people know this, I've said this, I don't read or consume the news. So it's really funny that we made a news like thing and got it big and then sold it. But like, truthfully, it didn't end up becoming the thing that like, I made this for me, for people like me out there. Sam, do you subscribe to that? Like, I guess like in theory, you could say the best thing to do is to scratch your own itch to build the product you want, be the, you know, make it for people like you. Then you're not guessing. But then in practice, sometimes, you know, the mass market is not where you're at and you go for that. So, what, Sam, what's your take on that? I think we it, it started MFM started that way and it is mostly that way. Every once in a while, you know, Sean, we'll be like, we need more views. Let's like get this guest. And sometimes we give into it. Sometimes we don't. The hustle started out because I liked the news. And then about a, two years in, I was like, I don't care about the news anymore, but this is my job. So I'm going to keep doing it. I listen to zero business podcasts now. I basically only listen to like crime and fiction and things like that. And so I don't listen to business podcasts anymore. But I think this podcast has mostly stayed of just like, what do I want to do? What does Sean want to do? So it's what do we want to talk about? It's mostly stayed that way. But we, we do like have to fight. Like I was messaging Sean like this last night and I was like, dude, we need to be stricter about our guests because we've had like a bunch of people like who asked to come on and we're like, yeah, they're huge. And then I'm like, wait, I don't give a shit about this person. I don't like, I don't, I wouldn't want to have a, like if this person invited me over for yeah. dinner, I wouldn't be excited. And well, so we definitely thing, have to fight that. I, I would assume, you know, this is 
we're realizing that it's the case for us, although it's different because we tell stories. But for you guys, I would, like the reason your audience is here is for you, right? Like it's not for <laughs> your guests, right? Yeah, I think sometimes though the the guests, you know, I, I basically told Sam, I said there's three, t- three, three or four types of guests. Four, the, the, here's the four that I think exist. There's the people that are like us and they're just bringing a different like flavor, new, fresh ideas. So like, for example, when you guys first came on, you guys, you got the shtick. You knew what we do on this podcast. I remember you guys came with a bunch of business ideas. You're like, oh, this Airbnb Wi-Fi network. Oh my God, like, you remember you know, even the, the idea, yeah. As soon as I saw your face, that idea came back to me, right? <laughs> I got like the, Some people have photographic memory. I have an idea memory. I can remember any idea. So that was like, you guys got the shtick. So you came on, you brought ideas, which is great because the audience loves that. Steph Smith is a great example of this. She comes on, she brings ideas. People like her, even though she's not, the big name, you know, famous, oh, CEO of X, she does an amazing job. So that's like number one. Number two is basically like, they are the big name. So it's somebody who a bunch of people are going to click on and might bring new audience. It's like, you're legit famous in some way. Yep. You had a uh, pomp on recently. Yeah. Well, how he would be three, which oh. is internet famous. So it's like legit famous. Yeah. It's like, you know, they're, they've like Paris Hilton or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like they don't have a podcast or they don't have a newsletter. They don't have like an internet right. community. They're just like famous, famous. Then there's your internet famous. And the last one is personal, like, we want to nerd out with them. Like so Ariel Hawani like, or something like that. Yeah, we, we had Ariel Hawani on. Like, I don't know how much of our audience cared about that, but I cared. I wanted to have that conversation. And we've had, you know, Sam was like, oh, this guy, Ken Rideout is awesome. He's like this 50-year-old, like, marathon record breaker guy. Like, I just want to talk to him. And it's like, great, let's do that. So it's kind of like, we are going to be so into the conversation. And we are sure that this person is interesting to us. It'll be interesting to some portion of the audience. And so it's like, to us, those are the four. And I think the one you get tripped up on the most is just the the legit famous person yeah, because totally they, they don't actually listen to the pod. They may not bring bring the juice. And it's almost like the expectations are high and you almost disappoint because it's like, oh, all right. Well, that was kind of a lame conversation with that person. And they don't have any of their own distribution. The nice thing about Internet Famous is at least they can help distribute the content. But real right. regular famous people, it's like unless they're getting put in People magazine or cast in the latest movie, they actually have no way to reach an audience directly. You know who does yeah. that for us is Darmesh, the founder of HubSpot. Every time he comes on, he get, it get, his episodes get really popular. And he's always doing, he is popular and his content is great. And also he always does some internet marketing stuff where he, he kills it. He kills hmm. it for us every time. That's, that's the best kind of guest that'll come on and promote. And he pays the bills too. Yeah, so right. he's the sponsor. He's the guest. <laughs> he yeah. drives the growth. Darmesh, come all. on acquire. <laughs> the, the crazy thing we notice about guests recently, just looking at our analytics and the, the, the two things, and both of them are true 100% of the time without fail. One, every single time we set a new episode record, it is an episode that is like just David and I doing Nintendo, LVMH, Berkshire Hathaway, like our canonical three-hour format. And two, every single time we have a guest on, it is less listened to than our previous episode. Interesting. Yeah. Right. And just last question is, how do you guys prepare for that? Do you just like both read the same book and take notes and then just tell a story? <laughs> we mostly read different stuff, but we've kind of architected. I mean, this is our like our differentiation as a show, which is so anti all the rules of podcasting. But I think is what makes us special is we have carved out that like we can take a month in our lives and do, you know, it's kind of like if you were writing a term paper in college. Like we can do the research independently, each of us on 
a company on a topic. And then we come together and it's like, a, I don't know, it's like a thesis defense or something that we and do. And the goal is like between the two of us to have basically consumed every piece of content on the company, like every other podcast that's ever been done, all the big books that have been written, all the talks given by the founder, try and find a bunch of weird stuff like talks given at industry conferences that have low view counts on YouTube, obviously read all the sources of all of the Wikipedia page for the companies. It's basically like no one should be able to DM us after the episode and be like, oh, did you did did you see this, this. Yeah. important piece right. of information on the company? We, we want to always be like defensively. No, yeah. we have consumed everything about this company. And I think like I think the magic is that like if we if the output of that were a term paper, it would be really boring and nobody would read it. But because the output of that is Ben and I as really good friends, like talking about it, like that kind of makes right. it magical. The, the, the phrase there, we've been noodling on is conversational audiobooks. Oh, that's cool. To describe what it is. Are there any odd commonalities that you've seen amongst like the savages that you've done stories on? So, for example, Ben Wilson has, you know, he does How to Think of the World and it's historical figures. And he's like, you know, it's weird. John Rockefeller, Edison and Napoleon, a bunch of these other people, they ate really lightly. Like they didn't eat a ton of food because huh. they said that when they overate, they felt brain fog and for a bunch of different reasons. Are there any strange commonalities that you've, you've found amongst like these conquerors of the world? Well, we talk more about companies than we do about people. Like Ben and David Center over at Founders, or, like or, they or companies, people. yeah, or or companies. I mean, it's the classic like being contrarian and right, and you have to be both contrarian and right. But the people that we're studying and the companies that we're studying are such extreme outliers. Like they're such the they're they're four standard deviations from the mean in terms of like how did a company do, and so they're sort of like an N of one. Like there's one TSMC in the world. There's one LVMH who owns all the most valuable luxury brands except Hermes. And it sort of happens in a unique way every time. And so I guess the the biggest takeaway for me is like, it usually is the founder doing something that like literally everybody else had left for dead. And, and, and when I say that, I mean like Bernard Arnault going and buying Christian Dior from the French government out of bankruptcy in when was that the 80s david uh, 80s yeah, yeah or like literally no, no one else was bidding on this like dead asset or the the example for starting tsmc is like zero other people thought that you should be starting a foundry when you have no chip ip to make other people's chip designs like that was there were yeah. zero other people that thought that was going to be successful one. like there is no there is no formula every story is unique but a big, big category is like something that has been left for dead. For like sometimes it's inventing something new whole cloth, but like really big category is like, oh, this thing is over and oh, done. Oh, David, with. Nintendo. Then, yeah, like Nintendo, the, the, the Google. Video like, game totally. crash of, of 1983, like the market for video games in the United States went from three billion dollars to a hundred million dollars over the course of two years. Everybody was running screaming from the industry and they thought, oh, video games were a fad and it's over. And then you have Nintendo that comes in, launches the NES, and then within five years has 95% market share and has grown the industry back to a $3 billion industry. It's these mm. like nut job bets. Has that, has that like given you guys any confidence to succeed, do you think? Because like, Sean and I <laughs> talked to all these awesome people and like we'll talk to, there, there are a handful of people, and I, I've said this a bunch, there's a handful of people who we talk to and we say, oh, you're definitely like significantly smarter than we are. 
or <laughs> you're, you're significant. You have this part that's more significant than us. And then there's other people who we'll talk to that are worth hundreds of millions or billions of dollars. And it's like, well, you're not like 20 times smarter than us, even though you're 20 times richer, but like you might be a little bit or sometimes a little bit less. And that's given us confidence, at least me for sure, because I'm like, oh, you definitely are insecure. You question yourself, you doubt yourself, but you still went through with it. It's a good question. Like I know how to be contrarian. I'm not sure I know how to be right yet. Like <laughs> <laughs> we're halfway there, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, I, 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 you know, we know how to make Everyone tells you you should make short podcasts that release every single week and you should have guests on to help build your audience. And we do basically none of those things. And everything that has worked for us is doing the exact opposite of those. And so does that mean keep doing the opposite of every piece of advice everyone gives you because that's the path to success? I don't think so. But if we overfit to the data that we've observed so far, that is what it would look like. And so I, I'm hesitant to like keep being contrarian for the sense of being contrarian. But but it, I think the the important part that comes with this is like, having a iterative feedback loop with your customers or in our case with our listeners to understand like what makes you love this and how do we lean harder into that and and sort of shut out general advice and pay more attention to like the the, the things our customers are expressing by the way i've picked up a little poker tell on people who are on contract how do you tell a real contrarian versus a wannabe ooh, contrarian this is a ooh. tell i picked yeah, up over yeah. time which is in the tech world i think because of peter thiel there's this like kind of like real sex appeal fetishization yeah, to, yeah for sure to being contrarian if you put and, it in your twitter um, bio you're probably not it <laughs> yeah exactly same with polymath yeah polymath's another one of them <laughs> or visionary as me, and, as, me and ben, as me and sam have, have joked about like or like if you're an engineer being like slightly on the spectrum it's like oh yeah yeah that's a, another indicator of success it's like here we go the one that is i think a tell when it comes to being contrarian is how excited are you that you have this contrarian idea because that shows people who are contrarian for the sake of being contrarian meaning like they're really excited to tell you how they think everybody else thinks A, but it's actually B. Whereas the real people I've seen that are contrarian, they just see A and they're almost like, I'm confused why people don't think A. Mm. A is clearly right. They're not, they don't spend time trying to like convince the whole world of it. Like, you know, if, if they're asked, they tell the truth. And then when people react in a big way, like, oh man, I can't believe you think that. And they're like, I can't believe you don't think that. It just seems like the truth to them. And so that's what I've noticed is like, if you, if you watch old videos of like, you know, Peter Thiel talking or like, I think Balaji is, is somebody who's like this today. They, they, they're happy to explain their point of view and they explain it like, this is just what's going to happen or this is what I, th I believe to be true, but they don't get high on the idea right. of, of being a contrarian. It's a subtle difference. There's a bunch of people I've met in real life that, that I kind of, I've noticed this on. It's hard to explain, but you'll see next time you kind of run into somebody who's, who's over eager and overexcited about the fact that they have this contrarian opinion, it's they're kind of just yeah. performing socially versus they actually believe that. It reminds me a lot of, it's like we all know this guy or girl who likes the idea of a relationship more than they like their current relationship. <laughs> right. And they're, they're very excited to like have this particular lifestyle. And you can sort of tell you're into that new lifestyle you have more than the person you're actually with. So right. it, it, it's right. Uh, did you want a boyfriend or did you want Ben? Right. Like, right, you, who, who, right. who did you actually want here? <laughs> Let me tell a story. Oh, hey, go ahead. I was just going to tell one on the thing, Sam, you talked about, like, what are the interesting success patterns? It reminded me of an experience I had a while back. I went to China when I was maybe 21 years old and got to go to the Alibaba. Like Alibaba flew out a bunch of entrepreneurs to go like meet with, it was supposed to be Jack Ma, but we ended up meeting with this guy, David Wei, who's like their 
Jack Ma's right hand man. He was the guy who was running Alibaba at the time. And I, I didn't even know what Alibaba was. Like Alibaba was a big deal. Like now I'm now I'm like, now I would have taken that really seriously. I, I had no idea who they were at the time. And we get there and somebody asked him this question. They raise their hand. They go, what do you think is the most important things for success, for the success of a company? Alibaba is a multi-billion dollar company. You know, what, what made it successful? And he goes, he goes, models for success are misleading. They cannot be copied due to the like unique combination of luck, timing, all these other things. But he goes, but what you can ask me is a better question, which is what are the common keys to failure? And he goes, they're mm-hmm. always the same. And he goes, we study the, the things that lead to failure and just tried to avoid those. So he goes, so, you know, I leaned in. I was like, oh, please blow my mind, yeah. sir. Go ahead. And he's like, he goes, there's three things that lead to failure. Money, plans, and technology. He goes, so our plan was no money, no plans, no technology. <laughs> and I go, what? And, and like, this is crazy because like a tech company worth like $40 billion. Like, what are you talking about? And he goes, hey, so he goes, all right, here we go. Money. Money makes people stupid. And when problems come up, their first instinct becomes throw money at it rather than attacking it with creativity. So basically, way back when Google was Google was like dominating with AdWords. And so the people at Alibaba were like, we need to make our version of AdWords. And he goes, you know, this is no ordinary. It's like, you know, building this type of ad network is not like super simple. He goes, so Jack Ma cut a check for $250,000 to build this project. And Latim like laugh, like you're, you're missing three zeros on the back of this. Like, what are you talking about? 250K. And he goes, that's how much money it took me to start Alibaba. Like I, I, I had less than that starting the whole company. So if you need more than that for a feature, we're doing it wrong. And he's like, they're like, well, how are we supposed to do this? He goes, do exactly what I did with Alibaba. He's like, so he moved 19 people into his apartment where he had started. That's Alibaba. Right. He's yep. like, that's your office. You're going to work there. He's like, you need servers to, to run the ad servers. Cool. Go find some, like go get some used junk servers and like re-rig them, get them, refurbish them and make them work. And they go, but there's no redundancy. He goes, if you're building with you, where you need redundancy, like we've, we've done this wrong, right? Like, you know, this is, you need to build, build this so that it works without redundancy first. And, and so he, he did that for, that was, a, that was the no money. Then he's like, no technology. He's like, everybody wants to call us a tech company. No, we are a service company. We're here to serve our users. If you don't think of yourself, like you're in the service industry, you're in the wrong industry. And then his last one was plan. And it's like, all right, well, dude, how'd you do this? Like, why no plans? Why are plans bad? He goes, you know, you guys are 50 young entrepreneurs who got flown out here to do this. I, I assume in America, you guys have done something good. Otherwise, why would we have picked you? He goes, how many of you are doing what you initially planned to do? And like nobody's hand went up and he mm. was like, exactly. And he goes, well, plans are fine, but they always change. That's the only thing we know about plans. The mission never wavers. Sometimes you'll need a plan to get others to believe. But remember, you should not believe that plan. You should follow your gut and adapt constantly to the circumstances. Don't follow the plan you wrote when you started. Follow your mission. Follow your vision. Follow the why. If you do that, you will be successful. And Dude, I was did, like, did you, <laughs> did you write all this down? Yeah, I was pocket? like, you read notes? Yeah, I'm re- so, so many years ago after that, after that event, I wrote, I tried to write a book in like two weeks. And I wrote half of it. And so this was one of my chapters in that book. And I just found the PDF on my computer oh, when you were talking about awesome. that. Run that's it. hilarious. That's amazing that you did that because that was years ago. What a great story. It's so applicable. I love that that's applicable to Alibaba just as much as like I'm thinking about you guys and us and like how we started the conversation. Like, yeah, we had no money. We had, I guess we had technology in that like podcasting and the internet is inherent leverage. It wasn't but, like we were. But, but none of us were like, we're building a tech company. Exactly. Or we're building a product. It was like, no, it's exactly. like. Exactly. And we had no plan. Something that we yeah. want. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, it's funny. Like I, we 
see a lot. I'm sure you guys do too. People come to us like, oh, how do I start a podcast? How do I start a successful podcast? We see like big companies come, the like offline celebrities that want to start podcasts. And it's like they come with money, technology, and a plan. And they're like, it's not (laughs) how it's going to work. It's going to suck. Like well, yeah. you guys probably see this with your episodes. Like how many of them started doing what they're doing? Like I, I don't know. I haven't listened to all the recent ones, but like I don't know. Was Nintendo what we think of oh Nintendo? Dude, today, Nintendo was making Wait, 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 real quick. <laughs> Do either of you know the origin story of Nintendo? Or no. or have a guess at how old Nintendo is? I think it's really old. I remember reading it once. I don't I don't remember off the top of my head, but it was is it like Sony where they were like selling rice or something and yes. then now they're it's even they better. are? Yeah. It's a hundred and thirty year old company. Yeah. Started in what, 1890. 1889, I think. Yeah. And their original business was making Hanafuda cards, which is the Japanese version of U.S. playing cards. But U.S. playing cards were illegal to import, like because people from the U.S. could, were, it was not legal to be in the country. And David, I think you at this point, they literally would execute you. Yeah. If you came well, Nintendo Japan. started right after this, but before the Meiji Restoration, like Japan went through this multi-hundred-year period of strict isolationism, where like you would be executed if you were a foreigner and you entered the country. Likewise, if you were a Japanese person and you left the country and came back, you would also be executed. <laughs> like, wow. And, so, but like playing cards are this thing that like has product market fit. So they're like, yeah, how do we gambling. make something like playing cards? <laughs> Universal human need. <laughs> so it literally started making Hanafuda cards and their distribution channel was through the Yakuza to illegal casinos. <laughs> yeah. Yakuza being like the mafia. The Japanese yes. mafia. Yeah, yeah. They started making these playing cards and like a very small part of the market was like, oh, you have a pack of playing cards in your house. But just like everywhere else in the world, the market is casinos because you use a fresh deck for each hand so right. that there's no cheating. And yeah, so Nintendo is like deeply embedded with the Yakuza. And for like 60 years, this was their business before they started making toys. And then what? Wow. Some like visionary within the company was like, hey, this, oh, new, there's this, this new thing is cool. crazy family like really tragedy of like this cycle of death and just like terrible parenting in the so family. passed down to four generations yeah, yeah. of the same family and but actually not the same family because they had no sons and they needed sons so they were marrying their daughters off to people who could take over the, the business yeah exactly and one of these guys was basically just like so pissed off at like the family legacy that this is Hiroshi Yamauchi who started the modern Nintendo. And he was like, I want to diversify the business. I want to get out of this. And he did a partnership with Disney. <laughs> in, in 1959. Yeah, 1959. He Nintendo brought Disney and Disney IP into Japan post-World War II. Check this out. I literally have the cards. Some acquired fans sent them to me. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then they brought toys and then they started making their own toys because they had like lock on the retail distributors. Yeah. So oh, wow. started as cards and they were like, then they went, said to all these retailers, they were like, oh, you want the Disney products? You're going to take our products too. <laughs> was that Jiminy Cricket as the J- Joker? Jiminy Cricket as the Joker and Mickey Mouse golfing awesome. on this old school <laughs> card deck. That's amazing. That's like, you got to wear that. With, you got to wear gloves if you're going to touch that or something. Seriously. It's like a, 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 a ancient artifact. Can I ask you guys a, a couple rapid fire questions oh. about some of the companies that you've you've discussed? Number one, which company of all of everyone that you went over would you want to own? Like, which, which what's, what's the one that you envy? Well, that way, those are two different questions. Which would you want to <laughs> okay. own, like own the stock of, and which do you want, or which do you want to like uh, be an investor in, or or actually own the company? Yeah, yeah. The second, 
actually own and which one do you envy most actually own i think is the nfl yeah i think that has the most like durable franchise and own is always a funny question because what's your entry price like do i have to buy stuff at today's prices or but if i think about sort of like durability of the asset and i sort of ignore where things are trading and what market values today the nfl is seven layers of entrenched in our society and to be an american at this point means to have the nfl in your life and they also david you pointed this out on our episode everyone thinks it's really cute to like stack rank all the the media franchises marvel's worth this and you know all the way at the top of the charts pokemon's worth this but like the nfl is worth so much more than any of those the nfl (laughs) tv contract alone is 12 billion dollars a year the most recent set of rights they parceled up was like no, isn't it? Now it's like eighteen or nineteen billion a year. I think something insane. Deal, but yeah. and they recently signed a ten-year deal, so it's like a hundred and fifty billion dollar deal like a just for the for TV management rights. fees. So the NFL has all the franchises, but is there basically like this like top-level hold co that owns like the the media rights? It's communist and the capitalism. Fees. They all own it all together. But the NFL, unlike any of the other leagues out there. Is this is there's starting to be a few little cracks in this, but like they negotiate with the TV contracts and now all the streaming and everything unified as a league. So there's no like, you know, like how the Yankees have the Yes Network, like their own TV network. Right. It's none of that in the NFL. It's all together and it's all equal revenue sharing. Have you guys done an episode on MLB AM? Yes. Yeah, way we back did, when way the back. Disney, the, yeah. actually the first investment before the acquisition. Well, these guys can tell you the this the full version, the accurate version. I'll give you the the dumb version, which is the Major League Baseball had created a tech, like a tech team, basically a tech company inside of Major League Baseball, co-owned by like the the teams. And the good job was like, hey, like people are trying to listen to this on the radio. We need yeah, to like do it was streaming like Ichiro, audio because when Ichiro came Ichiro. over from Japan, they needed to stream. Yeah, do you remember that guy, Sam Ichiro Suzuki, the yeah, guy yeah. who played on the Mariners? It was like a phenomenon. And so people in Japan wanted to watch or li- li- watch wasn't even an option. I think it was listen to the games. So they needed digital internet streaming audio. And so they built this thing. They started offering it and then each team would use it. So it was like, oh, each team co-funded it. So they would like cut a check and then that developed technology for all of them. But then they ended up spinning it out as a multi-billion dollar company because they're the best at video streaming now. Like they stream, if you want to watch Game of Thrones, it's MLB AM's oh, video wow. tech yeah. that streams Game of Thrones so that when whatever 10 million people click play as soon as the episode drops, that like the thing doesn't crash, which is kind of an you know just an amazing thing. And so that like spin out, oh, like who would have ever thought like one baseball. of the big tech company, you know, unicorn tech companies came out of like this baseball co-op co-funded yes. thing. It's like kind of an insane story. And it was yeah. in like 2004 or something that they started working yeah. on it. They had a five year head start on having the insight that this infrastructure was going to be important over Netflix. Like everyone thinks like, oh, Netflix, you know, is in with the ISPs and it's the best in the world that this like damn tech was doing that five years earlier. Yeah. And it ended up getting acquired by Disney and like is a huge part of ESPN streaming, like all the ESPN plus plus Disney plus like it's it's crazy. The history. Is there is there a certain founder, CEO, leader who you would rank as the the person you'd least want to compete against, whether they're (laughs) whether historical or modern? Oh, man. here's another way of phrasing that I heard that I like there was somebody who signed with the NFL draft and there was like four QBs that were competing and they're like, well, this guy's got good arm. This guy's good at running. This guy's a great leader, blah, blah, blah. 
And then this guy asked this question that I loved. He goes, let's say they all went on vacation and they rented a car and they're walking out to the, to the Jeep. Who, th- who do they throw the keys to to drive this car? It's like, yeah, who's the leader? Yeah, yeah. Who's the alpha amongst alphas <laughs> amongst these QBs? So, so who's that? I think in the we got to say world? Jensen, Jensen Huang from NVIDIA. Like, he's such a badass. Like, I don't know anything about NVIDIA because I just know it's a killer stock. So NVIDIA makes the chips that are in computers and, and, and dis- it involves display. Like, you can get like a GPU. NVIDIA. G- yeah. Is, is that right? Yeah. So yes. NVIDIA <laughs> is, is in their sort of third major third act chapter. as a company. Yeah. yeah third act. That, but loosely defined as like they popularized the idea of a GPU in addition to the CPU. And originally the use case was for video games in the 90s. And, you know, I think everyone who ever built PCs remembers like, oh man, I got to get this hot new GPU to slide in the card because it's better than the integrated graphics thing from Intel. And so that was sort of their market for a while. And it was all about gaming PCs. But then, like, again, five, six, seven years before the rest of the market, Jensen basically made this bet where he saw researchers using the, the GPUs, the gaming graphics Yeah, they were, like, going to Best Buy and buying a bunch of NVIDIA graphics to, cards. To do AI research. And he was like, I think we should lean really heavily into this. And so he spent billions of dollars and thousands of headcount for five years to build up this, like, whole software stack called CUDA that if AI and ML was going to become a thing, then people were going to use CUDA to develop exclusively on NVIDIA's hardware. And so by the time it did become a thing, like five years ago, NVIDIA had this enormous moat around it as being the platform to develop AI on. And it just so happened that the technology, this like super heavy parallel processing matrix math technology that makes gaming graphics chips work is the very same math that powers what ML is all based on. But other than, so NVIDIA for the listener, it's, I just looked it up, it's a $650 billion company. So one of the, I don't know, top 20, 30 biggest businesses in the world. But other than him being correct, what makes this person like a savage or? Oh, or they, that they're just like, there's so many points in history. Like he is a, he has 19 wives. Let me, <laughs> no, he actually, like, he's a total family man. He's been married to the same person he met in college. They have two kids, like he's, but. Like, he's got a giant tattoo of the company's logo on his shoulder. He wears leather jackets. He drives really fast cars. He's like, he's, he's basically like Elon, except <laughs> not like, like, Without right. Like, and he's Elon, except right and like leads with kindness. And, but like, he, I mean, they're like, in each phase of the company, the absolute rational thing to do was like, basically shut it down and like you know like talk about being left for dead like this company was left for dead multiple times and he's built like just single-handedly this dude created the ai revolution that we are in today like nvidia and cuda is essentially like you can think about it as like the android plus ios of ai like no nvidia and no cuda no decision by jensen to do this we are not living in the world we're living in today which Sam, I'll give file? you a different answer for the thing you're actually looking for, which is like who is the most savage person to compete against. That answer is Bernard Arnault from LVMH. He's the richest Why's man that? in the world today. And he got there not by being the founder of a business that happened to have product market fit and appreciated wildly. It's because of his deal prowess and the way that he was able to effectively outsmart the rest of the market to hoover up 70 of the the history's most important and trusted brands 
into one umbrella and then find leverage in every single thing he does to expand the empire. Is there anyone who you think is overrated, who's on a pedestal, and you think, I don't think that person's that great. I think it worked out, but I think they're overrated. It's a very unacquired question. Let's see. (laughs) Dave and I are nice people. We are. We don't. Well, pick a a dead person. One one that I like to to talk about. Dead person. Anyone, but someone who's like. No, I think one that I like to talk about here is, uh, I don't know that overrated is right, but like, I I think a lot about in investing about there's this great Buffett quote, not one of his most well-known ones, but it's something like you want to own a business that, you know, even an idiot could run because someday someone will, you know? (laughs) And I think about, to me, what that means is like, you want to own a business, you want to invest in a business that like, literally, you cannot kill it. There's nothing you can do to stop this juggernaut. And to me, that's Airbnb. And we talked about this a lot on the episode we did on Airbnb. But like, (laughs) it's just like the most amazing global network effect of all time. And literally, like, I don't, you know, this is my opinion, but I don't think there's anything that any manager could do to change the like to inflect the trajectory of that ship you know uh so i like there's a st- long story i don't feel like telling it but i had a job at airbnb when i was like 22 and i like oh, dropped no out of school and moved out and then i got denied whatever and so i didn't end up working there but i got to interview with the founders oh. and then years later my wife ended up working there and during work from home for covid brian would give these talks every thursday and we lived in a small apartment so i like inevitably would hear it I think that I agree with you. It's a mark. Once you have a marketplace that's working, it's hard to screw it up. eBay is doing a good job, though. But I, you know, <laughs> if it works, like it's it's a good, it's a great thing. It's a quite durable. But I would listen to Brian Chesky give these thirty minute like Thursday talks. That guy is bad to the bone. I read a little bit. I read the Walsh, the Walt Disney biography, and he yeah, yeah. reminded me exactly of him. He is a, you know, like I think someone said there's a difference between a missionary and a mercenary. Mercenaries are hired guns who are ruthless, but missionaries, they they really care about what they're doing. I I sense that with him. That guy, I think, is 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 a bit killer. I think that he's people think of him as this nice guy, of which I think he is. I think he's way, way more of a killer than people give him credit for. And he's very wise that he's a really good leader. But that's cool. I, I like Airbnb. And that's I think a- it, and I think it's cool that I, I agree that it probably would be hard to kill. And last question, which person who you covered would you would kick your ass physically and you'd least want to have a physical confrontation with? I mean, actually, Jensen. Yeah, you think you you think you think so? Well, he's oh, getting he up iron. there in age, but like, yeah, no, he like he lifts. He's just like <laughs> such a character. Well, I certainly, I mean, we're coming right off of Nintendo, but Hiroshi Yamauchi back in the day, not because he was physically intimidating, but like literally, like that the man was in bed with the yakuza, <laughs> like you know. Oh, <laughs> they, oh I got you it. Do Doug not Leone. cross him. Oh, Doug, Doug Leone, Leone, yeah, for my, sure. Like we sat, Dave and I walked in to interview Doug Leone. It's a great story. And uh, Doug Leone the founder of Sequoia, the longtime managing partner. Yeah, got it. One, one, a, a, bit, a head honcho at one point of, of one of the best venture capital firms ever through Google and, you know, the, the, the true heyday of, of Sequoia, which yeah, or you could argue that was recently, but it, amazing era of Sequoia. And so we a lot of times like with guests, we'll get to like spend some time beforehand and get to know them and go out to dinner afterwards and build real relationship. And we like email or text and you guys know the drill. And so with, with Doug, we, uh, we didn't communicate with him at all beforehand. It was all with some, some other lovely people at Sequoia. And we walk in and we set up and someone walks in the room and then they go, okay, are you, are you ready? And we were like, yep. And they were like, great, we'll go get Doug. Doug walks in, he sits down, he says, hello. 
are we starting? And we were like, yeah. So we hit record and we finished. Like, so we dance. did the whole episode. Make me laugh. We finish, right. We finished recording and Doug Voice goes, yeah. <laughs> Doug just goes, great. Thank you so much. And he walk, gets up and leaves the room. So every word that I've ever spoken with, with Doug Leone, except for like two <laughs> on, or three, on the record. is on the record in the yeah. episode that you can listen to in our podcast feed. And later, his EA did come in and say, hey, Doug wanted to know if you guys had any feedback. He's always looking to get better and, and sort of like came in and chatted with us. But I was like, wow, that is, that is aggressive. Strictly business. Yeah, Doug, yeah. Doug wanted to say thank you. <laughs> but he doesn't waste, waste breath. And then, and then so assist, I'll, I'll say it to you. And the assistant just punched you in the arm and gave you a raspberry and said, that's from Doug. <laughs> he also had, he has, I think, still to this day, the best, the best quote, quote on Acquired yes. that is not uttered by... Ben or me quoting somebody else from history, but the best live quote on Acquired, he was talking about after the dot-com crash when Sequoia was like, kind of made this vow that no LP would lose money. Like they wouldn't take a mulligan fund. They would like work the portfolio companies. They didn't take salaries. Make sure that they have positive returns. And he said, uh, he's like, Mike Moritz and I linked arms or it wasn't, I think it was linked arms. He said, Mike Moritz and I decided that like we would stand there and we wouldn't flinch and you could burn cigarettes on our arms and we would <laughs> <laughs> like, we wouldn't take a mulligan on these funds. We're like, damn. <laughs> he also has kind of an accent, right? Like, he's, yeah, uh, yeah, he's got this he, Italian, like, kind of Italian New York Italian. vibe. Well, are there yeah, are, cool. are there any more of these like tough guys or tough women like that are out there now? I mean, when I hear that, it's I always think like, oh, that was a different generation. I mean, like, Travis I, they make, do they make him yeah. like Doug Leone nowadays? Yeah, you like, gotta, you Elon's, gotta like, hide tough. it now. Yeah, well, Elon's tough. To he, ain't, he ain't like tough, tough. Like Travis Frank's, Kalanick, I think Frank's was, Lutman was pretty... is still like this. Yeah, and he, the he's like, it's a dying uh, breed, though. Like the we, we need more of these. Yeah. Frank, my my badge is not working to get into the office. You still got teeth, don't you? <laughs> 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 you know, that's like a when you read that guy's book, you're like, all right, yeah, this would be a pretty hardcore boss to work under. Yeah, it's totally a lost art, though. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't think they make them like that anymore. Unfortunately, that's crazy. Yeah. Before we go, do you guys have have any half baked business ideas you wanted to share with the My First Million audience? Because that's what they love. Yeah. Would love to do this. So I've had one that I was, we were actually kicking around together, Ben and me, for a while, but that we're not going to do, which is I think you could actually start a corporate podcast agency. So an agency for companies to make their own podcasts, internal podcasts or external? Either one. And my thesis on this is that for companies, there is tremendous value to having a podcast, even if nobody listens. If people yes. listen, like upside. But even and if basically, nobody... you should just assume no one will listen yeah. because we right. have like there's so many great options. Why would I listen to a, a company's podcast? Right, but it is an excuse to have relationship building conversations with customers and prospects. Right, it's like sales and biz dev, basically. Yeah, and exactly. It's it's sales enablement. Like once you have a conversation, you have it recorded, you publish it publicly. Even if there's no organic audience, you can still link to that and you can send it to customers as like a lead nurturing thing of, oh, somebody else was in this position too and they talked about why our product made their life better. Right. What right. do they... Uh, Salesforce should have its own, its, own, its own podcast. Yeah. What do they totally. charge for that? What do people charge for that? I know Ben, Ben, our Ben, Ben Wilson used to look, work at... Is it mission.org, Ben? Or no, it's Caspian, Caspian Studios. And I think they do that yeah. for like Snowflake. And you kind of did this idea, right? Like, how did, does this idea work or not really? What, what, what's the verdict on this one? Yes, it works. Yes, the customers are extremely price insensitive. So it's good. The margins are super high. Uh, we actually, like combining the 
two things we just talked about, we made Snowflake's podcast and Frank Slootman was on it all the time. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So wow. it, it's, uh, it's a really good business. The one bad thing about it that's coming into effect right now is when recessions hit, it's the first thing to go, right? It's just like the, the margins are super good when times are good, but then when times are not good. They email you being like, hey, can you send me the last 30-day downloads numbers? And you're like, yeah. delete the whole podcast, get rid of it. <laughs> they're, they're asking the question. It is exactly <laughs> like let that. Them yes. know. <laughs> yeah. What else you got? What else interests you at the moment? Are there any interesting deals that you're seeing or categories that you're seeing that you really like that don't start with the word AI? <laughs> I mean, actually, no. Like, and, and and I think that's the I think that is correct. Like, I am one of these people that believes that saying AI, we invest in AI, is a little bit of a silly thing these days because it's the same thing as twenty years ago saying we invest in software as a VC. It's like, yeah, no shit. Like, I I think it's just going to be so quickly ubiquitous that like if companies aren't using AI in some capacity or starting to get a little bit like. Okay. What's a cool AI uh, use case or company that you've that you've seen and invested in or want to invest in, whatever? Well, and by the way, I think Sean met with James Courier recently, and I think it was James on Twitter, or maybe James, Sean, you told us, you go, I've been pitched by 200 AI companies in the last quarter, and I've invested in none because they're all so, weak or something like that. So I haven't, it's interesting, I, I haven't invested in any either. Lots of companies I've invested in have added AI stuff to their products, but I haven't invested in some like net new AI company. In part because I don't think AI is going to be the differentiation, and I don't think it's going to be defensible for the vast majority of companies. I think the the value is going to come from, and the moat is going to come from the same thing that always creates value and moats, which is like network effects with your customers or like data moat where someone's already fully locked into your thing. And so they don't want to migrate because that would suck. And they have processes around using your thing. And so I sort of... Like, I, I believe that an enormous amount of the value from AI will accrue to these foundational models, but you actually do have to be using the foundational models in your thing in order to be, uh, like, table stakes in, in the next few years because everybody's going to expect all software to just behave magically. Right. Do you think, and this will be the last question for me, do you think that there's a world where you're going to sell, acquired, or do one of these Spotify deals or anything like that? Good question. Have you been approached? Yes, but not recently and not in a way that like not since we've become a real business. What could you get for it, you think? Could we try to give them five million bucks? What they said no. (laughs) (laughs) Quibi. Oh, wow. We we would say no to that. We would for sure say no to that. I would not be interested in having any conversations for, you know, less than on the order of like what you go like the hustle or morning brew or, you know, stuff like that. Tens of millions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just think like the value of what we've built both as a business and revenue and our audience and our durability is in that category. I think it's very much an open question. Like it's gotten so much bigger than we ever imagined. How much farther can it go? I'm curious how you guys think about this too. Would we trust our own underwriting more than an acquirer's underwriting? Uh Because what has happened for us is it has doubled every single year for eight years. Basically, no matter what we do, like we can't make it grow faster or slower right. than that. It's We've got idiots business. running the business here. Yeah. It still doubles. <laughs> that Warren right. Buffett quote. Yeah. It's it's cash generative. Have you guys built any businesses off the back of it? So that's yes. that we, 
Oh, well. Or, oh, you think it'd glow, David? No, I'm thinking kindergarten. So I, mean, oh, yeah. I, have, a, I have a fund on AngelList. I manage about $30 million of capital on AngelList between two funds and four or five SPVs. And while I used to be a professional VC before going full-time on Acquired, and that certainly helps, all of that's because of Acquired. <laughs> and you, so, so you did that, you did that fund. Anything else that you guys have done that you've launched off the back of it? Because what we found was that a podcast, like you said, it's very hard to make it grow faster than it's kind of like natural word of mouth, virality, in, in, interest, and like kind of the TAM of that that market. Like the Andrew um, Huberman's are rare. Normally it's a grind. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Totally. And, uh, and even him, I don't think he can make it grow much faster or slower. Just like good execution is obviously the only thing you control, but like a lot of people can do good execution and their growth rate will be you know, somewhat linear. You know, it's not going to like get, get much fat. The slope doesn't change that much. But the thing that I think what we found was that you can build businesses off the back of this audience, whether it's a fund or other other products or services that can be more valuable than the ad revenue of the business of the podcast itself. Do you guys do that or think about that? Like Sean, well, Sean mentioned a company, and they're like, "Oh, we just did a million in revenue." So, and yeah. he's like, "Oh, well, all right, yeah, like, let's I, let's." I gave a company a plug that I invested in. I was like, "Hey, I use it for this reason." Blah blah. I was like, you know, an ad, basically, but it wasn't meant to be an ad. I was just explaining how I use this thing. And uh, they booked a million dollars of ARR off of, yeah. of that, which was like pretty crazy. Yep. So, th so that happens to us all the time, which is why all of our sponsor deals are these like six figure, very meaningful and long term. We do these six month sponsorships. And most of our sponsors are now, you know, three, four or five seasons in like it works. <laughs> and so the question is, is it more is the right mode for us to operate in? Keep doing these big, deep sponsorship deals with companies for cash, or do we try to start companies or find some company that's at an inflection point and say, you know, let's trade equity? Or I think we're pretty early in the thinking there because we're like, you know, we would have to, it would have to be really the right type of company that is a high LTV B2B SaaS business that's reaching founders and, and, you know, CEOs and technical founders and that would have to be the audience. Like, I don't think we're going to launch an energy drink brand and have that makes have that kind of pencil. But I don't know. We're we're open to the possibility. I think there's also for us. I'm, I'm curious how you guys think about it because you are getting into this game. I at least I don't want to speak for Ben. I don't want to run a company. <laughs> I want to make tell stories and invest. Right. So I don't really want to build products or manage teams. So I think it's likely that we'll continue going that route. I don't know. Ben has experience actually building things. So right. he may Th feel this, differently. But this, this lets us benefit from the upside of companies using acquired as channel without us have to be involved in the muck of building that company. Yeah. And maybe at some point that our desire will change there. But, but how do you guys, I mean, you guys have built companies, you guys are building products. Like, how do you think about that? I've thought about it both ways. Like, I, I'm like you a little bit where my, I have the most fun when I get to just tell, you know, tell stories, nerd out about stuff, go learn new things and then come back with like, Go, I want to go down rabbit holes and then take the most interesting, you know, 1% of things that I found and share it on this podcast or on my newsletter. And that's that's what I like to do. That's the, the sort of highest enjoyment. But I also love money. And so I'm like, okay, cool. And I also like the thing I study is about how people make money and business and create wealth. And so I can't help myself but like apply some of the things that I learned, right? Like it's, it's very hard to resist the urge to apply the things that you know once yep. you know them. Yep. But then and, you got to go um, recruit a team. You got to like, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So I've basically played with every form you could do. So I, I invest both in startups as well as like cash flowing businesses. Like I'll buy, you know, 20, 30% of a cash flowing business that I think I can help 
through the audience or or just through like, you know, being an entrepreneur for 15 years and like learning a bunch of stuff. The second thing would be starting a business. So I started the Milk Road off of the podcast. I think the podcast helped us get the ball rolling there. And then, you know, I've launched like courses or things like that, that are just are ways to, to take the curiosity and say, oh, I learned a bunch of stuff. Could I teach it? And then, and and I also th- thought about, you know, you know, so buying businesses, investing in startups, doing, building a startup on my own or not doing any of them, not being operational at all. Like I've played with kind of all of them over the past three years in different ways. Like we sold the Milk Road yeah. in part because okay, that business is working and we got a great offer, but the the best part of the offer was, oh, I don't have to operate any business anymore. If I do this, that's appealing to me. Whereas Sam just launched Hampton last week or right. well, I think it was last, last week. Congratulations. We Thank on the you. Pod, and I feel like you don't have to do sales for the next year based off of like, you know, the 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 blitz that you were able to to, to drum up across the pod, Twitter, everywhere, everywhere that you tried to do, right? Like, I mean, you could talk a little more about that. But yeah. It seems so- like you... you you crushed your demand side. Yeah. So basically in 2022 and 21, I was inspired by Sean. I was like, all right, fine. I'll invest a little while. And so I gave it like a six to 12 month try. And I was like, I hate investing. I totally dislike it. I think maybe I could be pretty good at it, but I, I, it's not for me. I don't like taking a minority interest in things. That's I personally like owning all of something. And I think of myself a little bit as an artist sometimes with these companies. Like it's like my, I like to be creative and that's kind of how I like to express myself. So I prefer that with, and so that's why I launched Tampton was because I was like, this fits my interests there. I have a competitive advantage here. And so when I announced it on the pod, we now have 5,000 people who applied and we're like, and it that's, it's cost $8,500 a year to join. And we're being very meticulous and very slow about who we're adding, but that's, very likely going to be a very, very large company. I think we have a CEO, Jordan, who's amazing, but like, we're not taking any outside capital. And I prefer Sean likes to do lots of things. And I know a lot of people like to do that lots of things. And I know a lot of people who succeed really nicely with that. Me personally, I prefer focus and just doing one thing at a time because I, I don't, I just, my brain, it's really challenging for me to jump from thing to thing, a thing like an investor needs to. And so I prefer like spending five, 10 years on something. And so I, I intend to start company, start a company, maybe another one in, in a handful of years, I'm not sure, rather than investing. I actually think that Sean's way of like doing cash flow businesses and owning a portion of them, that's actually the easier way, I think, to make wealth. I, I just don't find enjoyment on it. I'm a dopamine fiend and like seeing sales come in and like making decisions. I get like it's it's my alcohol. I like it drunk off that. How do, how do you think about the business of the pod of My First Million? So the podcast is owned by HubSpot and we get right. paid a f- we get paid strictly a performance fee. And so when it kicks ass, which it has, we get paid good money as if we have had advertisers. And so but HubSpot's been great. Like not one time have they ever censored us or said, hey, you made a bad joke. Don't say that. And so it's been pretty good. It, 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 there's definitely I wouldn't say complicated, but it, it's a new relationship that we're definitely trying to figure out of like what to do because frankly hubspot's an awesome partner but at the same time if sean and i bounce they they don't have shit right so i think we're both both sides of that of that are trying to understand what we can do and how far we can push things and and we're definitely still figuring that out there are you have some and and there probably are potentially more monetization options for the pod right like how does that revenue get split up like youtube ads Today, we just don't. You just we don't. Uh, we turned off YouTube ads. Uh, 
we can't like if somebody wants to sponsor it we don't right so like we leave a lot of money on the table in that regard but you get other benefits right, right. so right. you got to like kind of weigh those out right. over so time yeah like, like the, the benefit makes sense the benefits that we have are basically we don't do any of the work so we record and then it goes on the internet that's a pro and a con because if we don't like how it's done then it's like shit we don't like that let's fix it but as long as it's working well it's awesome we get paid without having to have any expenses but then the flip side is shit, we have all these this advertiser interest and we know it works really well. Let's take more deals. And so I think there's a there's a world where we do kind con- con- actually come to a compromise and we have more ads, but it's a conversation. Yeah. It, yeah. Is there is there a tension at all with you guys wanting to use the pod to do stuff that generates value for yourself that doesn't accrue back to the MFM pod? Like you launching businesses off it, or is that no? All great? They're 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 great with that, and any revenue outside of the pod is one hundred percent ours. Events, right. merch, yeah. whatever. Yeah. But That's like, let's say let's say that they're like we're hiring a producer now because Ben's going to go full time on, on his new thing. Woo. Let's Woo. say let's yeah, congratulations, Ben. Let's say that they're moving slow. It's like, hey guys, HubSpot, hurry the hell up! You know you're going way too slow. I've got five friends right now who we could hire, and so like there's tension there for things like that. Yeah. Well, probably all all the business activity, all the stuff you guys are launching outside of the pod just brings attention back to the pod, right? So, like, it's good. Yeah, exactly. It also <laughs> brings credibility, right? Yeah. Because how many people do you see on YouTube or TikTok or Twitter, wherever, that are like, you know, basically these bit like business gurus or like, you know, advice right. guys. And you hear the advice guys and you like click their bio and you're like, so what are you done? What do you do? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Your career is giving advice. Yeah. Okay, but how, where'd you get that firsthand knowledge? Do you have any battle scars? Like, oh, no, you're, you know, you're the bald barber. Oh, great. Like, you know, I'm not sure that I want, I'm not sure that I want <laughs> yeah. that, right? So, so I think that's also helpful, right? Because if... Bald barber, like, by the way. Chef's kiss. Good oh, job. Yeah. yeah. Again, I'm practicing my, my improv on the fly. Yeah, I decided yeah. to take a few more risks oh, of like, just tee up that I'm going to make the joke and see if my brain in that 0.5 seconds can come up with something. And if I, if I fall flat, you know, two out of three times, that's okay. That's still even one, a, even one a blind right. squirrel finds it. Not my friend. You're doing great. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, basically I, th- I think it gives credibility, right? Like yeah. during the pod, you know, I built the milk road and sold it during like while the pod was live. So that adds some credibility during the pod, Sam launches Hampton. It's clearly going to be successful or already, already off to, to a successful start. It gives the pod credibility. And I think that's why, like, why does all in work really well? Like, obviously they have good banter, they have good things to say, but I think a big part of it is like, they bring a certain gravity right. to the room. Uh, They're participating in the story as it's unfolding. Yeah. Yeah, like the easiest way I explained it was all in is billionaires talking about billionaire shit. And my first million is millionaires <laughs> talking about billionaire shit. <laughs> and I've heard people like college kids come out and be like, we're, we're broke guys talking about broke guy shit. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> fantastic. You know, like that's that's the way to go. But I think it adds credibility because there's a lot of people out there who will create content, tell you about the next big thing, but they don't invest. They don't have skin in the game. They don't know actually what's going on. Or they'll tell you, yeah. you know, how to be successful and they're, you know, broken depressed so it's like you, you got to be careful with who you listen to it's like i'd rather listen to somebody who's done it before than somebody who hasn't it's just yep. as simple as that yep which that i think is the whole unlock of podcasting that like is a problem with the traditional media industry like one of the it wasn't explicitly in my our minds when we started acquired but like i'd gone to business school i went to stanford i did my mba there it was a great experience but like the classroom experience, like the professors, not the guests who had come in who had done stuff, but like the professors who are full-time academics. And then the cases that we would do just be like, 
you guys didn't do this shit. Like, why are you telling me about this? Like, I want to hear from the people who did it. Or and the so, journalists like, that cover the tech industry. It's like, how many people go from being successful founders to entering the journalism industry and writing for a paper? Right. Like, right. That's zero. Why I like Michael Michael Morowitz, by the way. Michael Morowitz, you know, Doug Leone's partner. Yeah. Moritz, yeah. Mo- sorry, Moritz, journalist turned billionaire. Yeah. And like those, <laughs> yeah, those VC stories. in the middle there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Those, you know, journalists to VC. But the reverse pipeline doesn't exist. So like, I always have to remind myself of this when I'm reading tech coverage. I'm like, okay, the the very best ones of these people have immersed themselves in the operator founder communities to be able to like pick up the je ne sais quoi and read between the lines of what certain things mean. Like Dan Primack is one of these types of people. But, you know, a, a, a junior journalist coming out of journalism school writing and picking up this beat, it's like, it's hard to say that that's a better way to learn what's going on than listening to people who are industry participants talking about what's going on. I remember once I went to a um, journalist, somebody who worked at TechCrunch. I went to their apartment in San Francisco and I just like walked in and I looked around and I was like, this is the same apartment as like everybody I know right out of college has. And I was like, and then they have this pen and then they write, on TechCrunch, and then it looks like very different. But like, this is a person who's just a normal, they're a normal person who this is kind of like their first gig and they're covering something that they barely like, really true, honestly, they barely understand. That doesn't mean they're not smart. It doesn't mean they don't have good intentions, but like, it's that thing where, I forget the, the name of it, but it's like, if you read an article about a topic you actually know about yes. in the newspaper, you're like, oh, this is... Oh, okay. I see the limitations of yes. how much stock I should put into this. But when you read about a topic you don't know, you're like, this is the oh, truth. Oh, the New York Times <laughs> is an expert. And it's like, there no, is a, they're probably also not an expert in that. Gelman Amnesia or something yeah. is like you, what it's called, right? Do you guys remember a few years ago when one of the, I think her name was Jen or something like that, one of the founders of Away Travel, like there was all these headlines saying oh, like, this down. woman created a toxic workplace that's horrible, you gotta get, and I was like, oh, this is a juicy story, let's dig in, where's the fraud, I love <laughs> and you this read shit. And you read the Slack Dude, messages that they're publishing, and listen you're like, to this. Y- yeah, what she's she running a startup. So someone like packed, like she like opened up a package and it was horribly done, and she said, if this keeps, or what did she say? She goes, I'm just gonna have to do, pack these boxes myself because whoever's running this must be brain dead. And I was like, okay, cool, let's scroll. Where's the good stuff? Yeah, where's the- And they're like, that's the thing. She, she said the word brain dead. And I'm like, that's the toxic work environment? Like, come <laughs> on, give me a break. That, yeah. is, that, that, that ain't nice, but that's not New York Times headline shit. Give me a break. Right. Like, I wanna see some, like, she I wanna got fired for that, right? Something like that. She yeah. bounced because of it, that. I'm like, that it wasn't it? Jen. She said it, brain was, dead? it was the other woman. Not yeah, yeah, I forget what her name was, but like I read that but article. I'm is, like, there's no fraud. Like she didn't, you know, like there's no alcohol involved. What's going on? Give me something good. I want cocaine and hookers. I don't want brain dead. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying. Right. This yeah, is why like, there's so much value to like what you guys are doing that you're building businesses and talking about them. That like we're investing. Ben's a full time VC. I used to be like. We know what's going on in a way that if you're just a journalist, like you can't, it's structurally impossible. Well, podcasts actually have more people from the field that come in and do it because a podcast is easier. You're talking, you're not writing. You don't have to like edit and like, you know, make a cool, fancy TikTok thing. You know, you don't have to like layer in filters and stuff. It's just, you sit down, you talk. That's why you see like Reed Hoffman. Straight up audio podcast. Yeah, just like straight audio or even audio with the webcam. Like, you know, now I think that's getting a little bit easier. But basically the podcast format 
I think there's a reason why you see so many like ex-athletes do this, where like, you know, the same thing, like you have Skip Bayless, who will just go say how this person is, they don't have the clutch gene. It's like, bro, that's not a gene. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they, you know <laughs> and he'll just like, they'll make fun of people. And then you have JJ Reddick, who's so an good. player, Old man just three. retired. So good, yeah. And he's phenomenal at content. His And his point of view is so much better than, than theirs. And that's why his stock is going up, like his views are just going up and to the right because he's good at this. He pulls real guests. When he pulls real guests, they talk like, they don't talk like they're talking to a reporter because they played with JJ or they played against him. So they actually open up about stuff, but he's also not trying to trap them in these gotcha questions. So there's like right. some mutual trust there. Yeah. And then he'll just share like, you know, when you're a player on the road, like, you know, this is the situation. Fans think you're practicing and blah, blah, blah. But actually here's what happens when you go in. And he's just saying what's, what's really going on. And so to me, when you see that, and again, it's because podcasting is a lot easier. If you told him, hey, I need you to write like beautiful, well-written blog posts every other day, it'd be very hard to do. But for him to just, oh, something happened, get on the mic from, give my point of view, they could do it. So like you get more credible experts in podcasting than I think on any other like medium. This is probably actually a good use of AI is being able to turn the ramblings of people who are industry participants. You run that transcript through and you say, write this as if it was a New York Times article with a strong lead and, you know, this many words. Like it is amazing how... I feel like I've transformed in my use of GPT over the last month where I was using it to try to answer questions, which it's fine at. But of course, that's the first thing you're going to do with a prompt. But my use case recently has been take lots of stuff and feed it in as the prompt and then ask it to make it better. So like I wrote a LinkedIn post about our most recent acquired episode and I fed it. I just pasted the whole thing into chat GPT. I was like, can you make this like more exciting? And can you make this more likely to go viral? And like, is that literally all you said? You, so you basically copy and pasted 500 words. You said, here's a LinkedIn post I wrote. Make it more exciting. Let me see exactly what the prompt was so I don't BS on the pod here. Can you please act as my editor and modify this to make it more likely to go viral as a LinkedIn post? That's so funny. And it indexed way in the other direction. Like it went... it full of emojis. <laughs> You're like, and chill like, the fuck out. Open AI. In capital letters. <laughs> discover the secrets. Like a lot of like, <laughs> and so I had to tone it down, but I totally used that to, and I, and it helped me rephrase a lot of things where I had like awkward phrasing that didn't flow well. It's a very good rewriter. That's yeah. awesome. Totally. I'm, I'm going to start doing that. Well, guys, you're awesome, man. Uh, thank you. Thank you for coming on. If you're listening to our pod, go check out Acquired. If you're listening on Acquired, <laughs> do the, so, uh, as we call it. Should we teach them the gentleman's yeah, agreement? Yeah, yeah. Do with the ladies' understanding, right? Is that the... I feel like the gentleman's agreement and the ladies' understanding has become like, you know, in wrestling, when The Rock would take <laughs> the microphone, he'd raise the people's eyebrow and you know he's going to hit them with like yeah, yeah, yeah. the expected thing. But for some reason, you get excited just to you hear him say hear it, it again. That's how, yeah. I, that's how I feel now with your, this is your catchphrase. Go ahead. This is the gentleman's agreement. And so basically the way it works is, look, you're going to 7-Eleven, you're going to go buy gas, whatever you are. And at the top, when you're about to pay, you see a little jar and it's for muscle dystrophy. And there's all that money in there. And of course, you don't take that money. You leave a, a, a dollar there. No one's going to stop you, by the way, if you took that money. But and that's basically what this podcast is. This podcast is free. Us four, we just dedicated hours of our of our day to do this. But unlike every other podcast, this one's not free. Just like that jar, you got to leave a dollar, meaning you got to go and subscribe to Acquired's podcast on Spotify as well as iTunes. And do the same with My First Million on our YouTube page. And you click, you click subscribe. It's called The Gentleman's Agreement because we're not there. 
All right, we're just shaking our hands. Ladies, <laughs> what is it called? The ladies understanding, the gentleman's agreement. Yep. We're not there to help you guys out. It's just honesty. So everyone's doing it. Don't be left out. You have to do this. That, that's our that's our agreement. We create the content. You click subscribe. I love it. You guys are innovating. <laughs> and there's real value. Like it's not, you know, for our audience, if you go and subscribe to My First Million, you're going to get smarter. You're going to get more ideas. Like this benefits you. So it's not, you know, you're not just pulling money out of your wallet here. You're you're doing something that's going to make your life more fun. And that's the gentleman's agreement and that's the lady's understanding. David, you want to <laughs> you want to take us home? What were you saying? Oh, I was going to ask. I, I could keep jamming with you guys for another hour. I was going to ask you said Spotify. Where do you like people to subscribe? Spotify, YouTube? You, you guys said are all that. over the internet. Well, you said earlier that Spotify is your main thing. So once we started doing the Gentleman's Agreement, our YouTube channel went through the roof. So, yeah, we, I, we, oh. so we went from like 150,000 subscribers to close to 200 in like a month or eight weeks or something like that. Awesome. So Sam, we should do a uh, every pod giveaway of YouTube premium to someone in the comments. So go go to our YouTube, go to this episode on YouTube and just and just type in premium. And we will pick somebody, we will pay for your YouTube premium Genius. so that you can listen to this pod ad, ad free in the background. You can lock your phone and walk around and uh, you can enjoy that sweet, sweet $14.99 a month that we're gonna be paying for you for the year. So one year of YouTube premium in every episode. Call it in now. Oh, I love it. That is really a reminder to go comment because I am a YouTube <laughs> premium subscriber, but I want you guys to foot the bill. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for doing this, guys. We appreciate you and we'll have you back on and thank you for everything. Likewise. See you guys. Catch you guys next time. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. Like